This message is brought to you by Alliance Bible Church located in Mequon, Wisconsin. Our vision is to captivate generations with the satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Alliance Bible Church or other resources, please check out our website, myabc.church. Church, uh, we've known each other for a couple of years now, uh, so you might find this a little bit surprising, <clears throat> not the Hawaiian shirt part, but, uh, but you might find it surprising to learn that actually for a chunk of my life, I was a violinist. I was a violinist, true story. Uh, every Tuesday and Thursday morning, I was part of a chamber strings group and eventually a full orchestra uh, for five years of my life. I was a violinist. And um, now, before any of you musical types get excited about talking with me about this later, uh, I, I want to r- remind you, point out, Everything I said there was time-stamped, okay, and in the past tense, right? In other words, in the vernacular, I quit <laughs> long ago, <laughs> and uh, I had some actually some very good reasons for quitting. In fact, I'd encourage you, if you failed at some public activity for a significant stretch of time, you should reconsider your decisions as well. And uh, eventually, I just had to come to terms with the fact that, that there was a good reason why my conductor always seemed to place me right next to the piano that was drowning out all of the notes that I was unleashing. So, um, so anyways, however, from that experience, that experience, I can confidently say that an orchestra is an excellent example when it comes to understanding the church, the body of Christ, and how each of us is to function inside of it. How we are to function inside of it. Think about this with me. In an orchestra, you have one unified group of people following one conductor to produce one musical score. Yet within that, within that, you have individual people with individual instruments playing a singular part. You have diversity within unity, and it's striking, especially when you consider the mutuality that's present, that there are various parts in this group that are working together, and all of it together is complementing one another. And I know, sure, That trumpeter sometimes gets a solo that those baritones can only dream of in their wildest uh, dreams. But without those baritones providing that bass line, those trumpeters will be lost at sea, all right? They work together. There's mutuality. They need one another. They need a function of each other to provide and to create the whole. The body of Christ... As one scholar put it, the members work together to make the body work. In the body of Christ, the members work together to make the body work. In church, we're an orchestra. In you, friend, you have a function inside of it. You have a function here. You have an instrument. You have a gift, a spiritual gift that as a Christian, God has given you and it is meant to complement and aid the whole church in advancing one mission and that 
is what I want to talk with you about today. That gift. But listen, I know, right? Whenever we bring up spiritual gifts, there is a multifaceted reaction that begins to unfurl. Right? If you're someone who's not yet a follower of Christ and so forth, you, you might start thinking of, you know, like creepy television shows that are like looking into your living room. And uh, you might be thinking about, you know, wild church services with convulsing people on the ground or weird individuals on YouTube making prophecies, etc. right? On the other hand, if you are a Christian, you might be thinking of all those same things, <laughs> Additionally, uh, you might be thinking, uh, or instead of, some bad experiences that you've had where hurts or divisions were caused, and they were centered around the idea of gifts. All right, now, I don't know what reaction you might be having, but in my experience, right, aside from all those responses, the most common response I've encountered is simply this, uncertainty. It's just uncertainty about what to think when it comes to spiritual gifts. And so with all of that noise going on inside of our hearts, inside of our minds, I want us today to look to the Word of God, to the Bible, and allow it to do what my old director used to do, where she would wrap her baton on the music stand, and she would call the orchestra into order. She would take that baton, she'd wrap it, and she'd call us to attention. Because for us in the body of Christ, listen, we can share, we, we, can, we can recognize all of the misuses, we can recognize the pride, the disorder, we can recognize the ignorance with spiritual gifts, but we need to remember that abuse does not negate proper use. Abuse does not negate proper use. And instead, we need to recognize that if it's in the word of God, it's in there for our good. And it's in there for our instruction that we are to come under. And so, instead, we need to take our cues from the scriptures when it comes to spiritual gifts. And we need to fall into alignment there. And we need to do this in a way that says a clear no to disorder, a clear no to creepy actions or unfounded claims. And we need to see how an individual Christian is to pick up their instrument in the body of Christ and play it to the glory of God. And we're going to do that by looking at Romans chapter 12. I want you to go ahead and open up your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 3. Here in Romans... The Apostle Paul is writing to Christians in the city of, oh, we are tracking this morning. Good. All right. Somebody out there is with me. Rome. Rome. Right? Uh, at this point in the letter, he is now making a turn from looking at the internal conditions to then call for external actions that result. He's looking here at how we are to live into the new boundaries that have been staked out for us with a new heart, the new mind, the new soul that a Christian has been given. And I believe that... that we will see that Paul's words here actually take many of the popular ideas that we have about spiritual gifts, and it turns them on their head. So let's take a look at it together. Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, 
Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. Sober judgment. Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So no, Paul, out of the undeserved favor that God has given him, is now warning each and every one of the Romans about what? Pride. Pride. Thinking too highly of yourself, right? Instead, he's telling them to have an honest and accurate image. That is a sober-minded judgment of themselves, and this judgment is based upon what? It is based upon the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, what measure of faith has God assigned to each and every Christian? Saving faith. Saving faith. Every Christian has been assigned at least saving faith. That is the standard that we are to measure ourselves against to have an accurate and honest self-assessment. This then is a, a practical route being shown here away from pride and towards humility. Away from pride and towards humility. Philip Brooks once said this, and this is one of my favorite quotes. It's really become that. The true way to be humble is not to stoop until you're smaller than yourself, but it is to stand at your real height against some higher nature that will show the real smallness of your greatness. Gifts are set in the context of humility, and it is what we need to see first. All right? Verse four. Four. All right, so building on this theme, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. All right, church, when we think of the connection that humility, having humility uh, because of salvation has with us, we should recognize something, that yes, out of all of the world, God saved you. Out of all the world, God sovereignly decided to save you. That makes you one in a million. You're one in a million. But church, you're one in a million. You're one in a million, yet you're one in a million. God purposely saved you, and yet he didn't just save you, did he? No. You matter. You're unique. You have a different function. Not every member of this orchestra has the same instrument. You have a gift. And yet, you're connected to others. This is a much, much larger group. The body of Christ. Even as we're emphasizing that today in the great reunion. We can see it clearly. And so be all the more humble in your gifts, recognizing that you were saved out of sin by God's sovereign, undeserved favor, and yet you were saved into the body of Christ. You're saved with others. Welcome to the orchestra. Spiritual gifts are set in the context of humility and plurality, and have the direction here in verse 6 that's given. Verse 6, 
Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Let us use them. I want you to underline, circle, highlight those four words. We'll come back to that. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, and the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. All right, church, now we, as we step back from the passage, we take that in. The corrective wake-up call, in the midst of all of this noise, I think that we need to pay attention to with regard to spiritual gifts to rightly press into their usage begins with a consistent call that we saw here and we can see elsewhere with spiritual gifts, and that is this. Our humility in the body is essential to being useful. Don't miss that. Our humility in the body is essential to being useful. That's the key truth I want us to grasp first and foremost with spiritual gifts. If I was writing a book on spiritual gifts, humility, it would be chapter one. (laughs) Chapters two through ten can be whatever else. But humility would be chapter one. And see, if you were to simply take the three main passages on spiritual gifts, that is 1 Corinthians chapters 12 to 14, here Romans chapter 12 and Ephesians chapter 4. If we were to take those, those three, not four, three, uh, 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 chapters, those three uh, passages, and we were to look at them, what we would see is a consistent theme with spiritual gifts that they are couched in the body of Christ, that they are focused on mutuality of how they complement each other, and they, they are considered an aspect of God's grace, God's undeserved favor upon his people. Friends, put that together. That is a clear call towards humility for us. And in that humility, which by the way, humility is just an aspect of love since love is not proud, right? That's a side note. But that call for humility as an individual in the body with our work, listen, it's both intentional and it's consistent and it points to then how essential this foundation must be in being useful, in being functional. But why? Why is humility with our gifts, why is it so essential to being functional with our gifts? It's because of this, and I don't want you to miss this today. Don't want you to miss this. Spiritual gifts were given not primarily for your benefit, but for the benefit of others. Don't miss that. Your spiritual gift, whatever it might be, spiritual gifts, they are not given primarily for your benefit, but for the benefit of others. That is part and parcel to their purpose. So listen, with all the the various kinds of things in the New Testament, all various kinds of things that are called gifts in the New Testament, you have marriage, you have singleness, you have salvation, you have forgiveness, you have eternal life, and so forth. But here, with these particular abilities and assignments, they are unique in that they were given not primarily for you, but for those around you. And thus, they can only be functional and healthy when you and I are not fixated in our thinking on ourselves. 
Hence the danger of pride with spiritual gifts. Pride is the great dysfunction of the body of Christ. It is a cancer. In spiritual gifts, in biblical times, if we were to look at the the, the church in Corinth, or in our time, have repeatedly trafficked in these waters, as we've seen. Christians have tended towards an overemphasis on individuality and personality with gifts. That is, on what I want, on what I can do, and on what I enjoy. Way overemphasized. And those things matter. It's not that they don't matter. But listen, left there, they form a woefully inaccurate picture of being a functional member of the body of Christ. And they lead to deep dysfunction in the church. When we leave the conversation of spiritual gifts there with with me and with with what I enjoy and with what I want, we set up a self-focused view of spiritual gifts that inevitably end up with an overestimated view of ourselves and our gifting, where the focus, surprise, surprise, is on me. It's on me. It's pride. It's pride, and so it runs directly contrary to humility in the body as being essential to being useful. And listen, church, this is not hard to spot. When we see spiritual gifts resulting in division and in disorder and doubting, we shouldn't be surprised because those are the results of pride. See, when we're prideful, we cannot get along with others very well or for very long. It doesn't happen. So there's division. When we're prideful, there's disorder because nobody wants the hard jabs. Anybody want to change diapers? Not particularly. (laughs) Nobody wants to have the hard conversations. Anybody want to confront people about sin? Right? Nobody wants to uh, 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 follow because, of course, they know what's best. There's disorder with pride. And there is a deep tendency towards doubting because there is not trust. And you can't learn from somebody else when you don't trust. There's not a teachable spirit with pride. Does that sound familiar? Brother, do you have a teachable spirit? Sister, are you controlling? Friend, would others describe you as being reasonable? If not, let me lovingly encourage you to come back and to keep the measurement of God's faith that he's assigned, your salvation, your gracious salvation, and view at all times. That's what you and I need to be looking at, that we didn't deserve this. This gospel is not something we deserved. This function, this gift that God has graciously brought us into, We didn't deserve that either. And God has graciously given it to us for others. And guess what? God has given them a gift that you need too. You need them. You need the spiritual gift that God has given them. There is mutuality. See, humility, it is so essential to being useful when it comes to spiritual gifts. 
And there, as we are grasping humility, it's there that we can and we need to press in further into being useful, which is where Paul steers the conversation next, starting in verse 6. Look at back in the passage with me. Verse 6, having gifts that differ, right? So now everybody has the same gift. According to the grace given to us, let us use them. There's those four words. See, friends, this passage was addressed to each and every one of the Christians in that church. So let me tell you, you've been given a spiritual gift by God. Don't let pride keep you from using it, from growing in it, or becoming frustrated because someone else was given a different gift and in a different proportion. After all, you're in the same orchestra. Maybe you got the solo part, maybe you got the bass line. Maybe you got the first chair. Maybe you're with me next to the piano, right? But we're in the same orchestra. Wherever we're at, we are needed, and we are needed to be about the business of playing, of being a functional, active member with our gift. You need to use your gift. And this is where we need to pick up then on the key question that I want each and every one of us to be able to walk away from today asking. And that's this. What has God given me for those around me? What has God given you for those around you? If humility in the body is essential to being useful, uh, then with being useful, we need to ask the next right question. What has God given me for others? If you have an ability and assignment to help someone, you better start by knowing what it is, right? Writing on the issue of gifts, Thomas Schreiner supplies us with what I think is a helpful and good definition of spiritual gifts to start us off. The gifts of the Spirit are gifts of grace granted by the Holy Spirit that are designed for the edification of the church. All right, so that's the part we've covered so far, which can be divided up as gifts of speaking and gifts of serving. Gifts of speaking, gifts of serving. These categories of actions and words of of speaking and serving are helpful when we consider identifying our gift with something like this list of spiritual gifts that are being presented here. So by the way, this list here in this passage, it's not meant to be exhaustive, but representative. All right, This is not meant to cover every gift that's out there, but to show us the kinds of abilities, and assignments that God has given to the church to use in benefiting others. There's seven gifts that are listed here, and they start with the gift of prophecy. Prophecy, in verse 6, saying, if prophecy in proportion to our faith. All right, now with this particular gift, uh, we're going to need to require uh, some greater clarity because contrary to the creepy YouTube guys declaring futuristic prophecies left and right, Prophecy in the Bible very rarely has to do with telling about future events. Did you know that? Prophecy in the Bible very rarely has to do with anything in the future. Instead, prophecy in the Bible is a wide-ranging term about declaring the revealed will and nature of God. It is a speaking gift from God to his church with the function of benefiting others by sharing truth. By sharing truth. That certain others, as we look at in 1 Corinthians 14 or in Acts 21, that certain others are to weigh 
are to consider for veracity, for orthodoxy, for direction, and so forth. Other people will weigh what has been said under the authority of the scriptures. And it's given here and to be done in proportion to our faith, as in in proportion to our confidence, our, our uh, agreement, our knowledge, and our trust in the Holy Spirit to exercise it rightly. All right, so that is prophecy as a spiritual gift. Now, second in this passage, we have service. We have service. Here is probably service with a flavor of caring for material or practical needs of other believers. All right? It's an action gift, simply stated. Uh, third, here we have teaching, which may be somewhat similar to prophecy in the sense of it's a speaking gift to be done under the word of God, but it is different in the sense that it is to have more of a focus on the practical instruction of Christian living. It may have a, be, be done in the context of a group. It may be done in a much smaller context. All right, but that's the gift of teaching. Fourth, exhorting. Exhorting, which is a, a speaking gift with the intent of urging others forward in their walk with Christ. All right, so this is the idea of calling people to follow Christ deeper and with a more faith-filled and obedient way. Right? Exhortation is sometimes also uh, translated or put at, down as encouragement. Encouragement. Now, fifth, contributing. Contributing. Here, this is in the sense of, of, uh, of giving materially of one's own resources. Right? Not somebody else's resources. Right? One's own resources. And this is a role, an action gift, that is said to be done simply or generously. All right, as in without regret. And generously, then, is not, not in terms of amount. It's in terms of attitude. It's to be done with no strings attached. It is to be done in the sense of giving freely. All right, six. Six, we have leading, which is an action gift of providing oversight in the church. This word literally, it means to stand before to stand before. This is an assignment that is to be done, it says, with zeal, right? Zeal, or also translated diligence. That is with the sense of eager, hardworking speediness for doing things, right? That's how leadership in the church is to be done. It's to be done with zeal, with diligence. Now, finally, number seven, we have mercy, Mercy is also an action gift here. This is an assignment where one is caring for the sick, needy, or for someone who just simply isn't able to physically or mentally uh, care for themselves. And it is to be done cheerfully, it says. All right, this is to be done then without self-pity or any kind of Eeyore sense about it, okay? Cheerfully. All right, now those are the seven gifts that Paul is listing here. And seeing them, understanding what they mean, and seeing the category of serving or speaking that they fall into, it should be helpful for us in answering our key question of what has God given me for those around me? But I think it also offers us something more. Because as you look at verses 6 through 8 there, you can see Paul doesn't just share, here's what the gift is. He pictures the gift in practice. And friend, I would propose to you that if you're unsure about your spiritual gift, 
I would encourage you that the best way to individually figure out what that gift is, is through practice. Spiritual gifts, whether speaking or serving gifts, can only be seen and affirmed or discouraged in the body of Christ when they're put into practice. It's through speaking into a situation. It is through stepping up to help. It is through attempting to unpack some verses. It is through taking a risk to offer some direction. It is through sacrificially giving to a vision. It is through standing in the gap to organize people. It is through trying to care for someone in need that you're going to figure out what your spiritual gift really is, what your assignment in the orchestra really is. I remember being in seventh grade and volunteering to do announcements in youth group. And uh, I, I would get handed a, a sheet of paper with the announcements on it. I'd be told to you know, go up on the stage and you know, read them off, etc. There was only two problems. First of all, uh, I'd be so nervous that the paper was very hard to read for some reason. You know, it just seemed very shaky. And then uh, secondly, God gave me a naturally soft voice. And so nobody could hear me. <laughs> Those are only the, oh, just two problems, you know, with it. Uh, and so, you know what? For me, it was a long road to see that God may not have given me a natural gift with a speaking, public speaking ability, but that he had given me a spiritual gift when it came to teaching his word. But as I faithfully stepped up to practice these various gifts, God was faithful to use others to teach and to exhort and to lead me in the right direction to have faith, have confidence. Where I accepted, I grew in understanding and am still growing in understanding and trusting the Lord with his gifts that he had given me with teaching and leading. Many of us know what that's like, amen? Across this church this morning, you have all kinds of people using their gifts, serving and teaching and exhorting and leading and et cetera, et cetera. And all throughout this week, throughout various communities in our church, we have people who are leading and teaching and having mercy and so on and so forth. And they've experienced that same refining and affirming process with their spiritual gifts. Many of you could attest to it. So brothers and sisters, with spiritual gifts, don't wait for some future day, but take today to humbly put it into practice with these gifts and discern what God has given you to give others. Don't focus on taking some tests, but focus on taking a practice shot of being a functional member of the body of Christ, a shot at figuring out what instrument you've been given in this orchestra to play. After all, as one of your pastors, I don't want any of us to end up like a lawn chair Larry. Remember lawn chair Larry? Remember this guy? Uh, it's a true story. Uh, Larry Walters was 33 years old. He was living in North Hollywood, California. Uh, Larry had had some ideas as a boy about flying in the Air Force, but they didn't work out. And though uh, he had never forgotten them, he also did nothing ever with them. Instead, he spent a whole lot of time in his backyard in his favorite Sears lawn chair, watching the grass grow and the jets overhead. And eventually, one day, Larry got an idea in his head. He thought, 
what if I was to attach a whole bunch of balloons to this chair and flew someplace? Now, I don't know if this idea came out of a bottle with something stronger than root beer in it, (laughs) but he got this idea into his head, and he decided to go for it. And what he did was he bought 42 weather balloons, and he inflated them, and he attached them to his chair. Now, what Larry thought was going to happen was he was just going to go up a couple hundred feet and kind of float, you know, float around and land over in the desert that was to uh, the, the uh, east of the city. Uh, but that's not what happened. Uh, instead, as soon as they cut the cord, he rocketed 1,600 feet up into the atmosphere. Uh, and <laughs> he was literally uh, seen by different airliners and spotted as a UFO <laughs> as he was drifting towards the ocean. <laughs> well, freezing and scared and radioing for help, Larry manages to get out the BB gun rifle that he had brought with him for just such an occasion and manages to start shooting out a couple of the balloons, uh, but then drops his his rifle, <laughs> and, uh, but he managed to have put out enough of the balloons to start making his way back down to the ground. He was able to descend. Well, when a reporter caught up with him that day, he asked him this question. He said, why'd you do it? And Larry said, a man can't just sit around. <laughs> Watch out, guys. A man can't just sit around. And church, when it comes to spiritual gifts, I don't want us to be lawn chair Larry's. Getting tired of just sitting around and eventually making some wild decision that sends us floating away. I don't want any of us spending years sitting in some nice seat watching something exciting while doing nothing. I don't want any of us to be so prideful or so foolish as to try flying alone. That's not to be our way, church. No, we're to be in this together and for one another. So maybe, maybe if you're new or maybe you never served or you're unsure about your gifting, just start out by humbly saying, what do you need? What do you need? Maybe that's where you need to start. Maybe what's needed is just somebody to show mercy or maybe it's somebody to teach or whatever. But humbly start and remember what Jesus said, that he who is faithful with little will be faithful with much. So friend, are you sharing your gift? Are you playing to the glory of God? Serving your brothers and sisters in faith? If not, it's time. It's time. Let's do this humbly together. And let's see where it goes. Amen? Will you bow your heads with me? We're going to turn our attention towards communion. As we do so, we're reminded that we're part of the body of Christ. That because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we've been called to gather as his people who looks forward to serving with eager anticipation of his return. And as we enter into a time of prayer and reflection, I just want to encourage you to be asking this question. God, what have you given me? God, what is your sober 
judgment, your honest and accurate conclusions about my heart. And I want to encourage you to allow the Holy Spirit to guide you this morning. If there's any pride that needs to get rooted up, to do that. To guide our hearts in prayer. So in this moment of preparation, let's begin by praying together. Jesus, we want to thank you that you have given of yourself. That every good and perfect gift comes from you. And that we get to stand in awe of who you are. We get to stand as recipients of your grace of salvation. And you've given us graciously gifts to now turn and give to others. And God, we want to be faithful. So Lord, bring to our attention, bring up in our hearts anywhere where we need to do that business with you. Let's enter into that church. And in a moment, I'll pull us back together. Lord, we do thank you. We thank you for your grace. You sent your son Jesus to offer us new life. And life together, not alone, but in a family. And God, we thank you that this family extends far beyond the four walls of our church. But throughout this world, as your people are gathered today, in worship of you, may we see ourselves with a fresh humility. And thank you for the way that you have pressed into this with us.